Titus chapter 3 and uh, 1 through 8, same passage we're in last week, and I'm going to read that. We're going to pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father, as we move back into this passage, Father, I pray that you would... Show us the marvel of the new birth. And God, I pray that you would just press it upon our hearts that, that in Christ we can be new uh, with more new to come. And Father, I pray that that would excite um, the souls in this room. I pray that it would whet our appetites, the Lord, that it would give us this craving, this desire for more, more of the new, more of you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do exactly what this passage says Right here today, God, in all three of our services, God, make people new. Um, bring about the new birth. Bring about a new born-again experience, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so same passage as last week. Um, where have we been? So what, what, what did we look at last week? Well, um, verses 1 and 2, uh, basically our verses about how should you relate to the world around you? How should you interact with the rulers and authorities and systems and, and people who are not following Jesus, who are opposed to Jesus? So how should you treat them? And so verse 1 and 2 talked about being submissive to rulers and authorities and being obedient, being ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, maligning, slandering no one, avoiding quarreling, being gentle, showing perfect courtesy to all people. Why? Why? What is the reason why? Why should that be our posture toward the outside world? Well, verse 3 says, because you were just like that, okay? And remember our gut reflex is always, whoa, 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 whoa. I was not that, I was not that, I was not that. Well, maybe, maybe your sin manifested itself differently, but here is the truth, the undeniable truth of the scriptures is that you were without God. You were a rebel. You, you were enslaved to your passion. You were at odds with God, which made you at odds with other people. And so we all were once that until, verse 4, if you're converted here this morning, if you're born again this morning, says, but here's what God did. God intervened. God saved us. God made us new. God transformed us through the gospel, which is the only hope for man. It's the only hope for us. It's the only hope for the world. And since we are the proclaimers of the gospel, okay, this circles right back to verse 1 and 2, then we need to live this way because we're the carriers of the gospel. And we don't want anything to get in the way of our carrying the gospel to the world that is in desperate need of it. And so verse 8 kind of finished up by saying, hey, man, the, these living this way, believing God and being careful to, to do good works, 
that it's excellent and profitable for people. This is useful for the gospel. Okay, so that's kind of what we looked at last week. We looked at how we are to live according to the, to the, to the lost world around us, the people that you disagree with, the people that you're in, in many ways opposed to because of the gospel. How do we live toward those folks? Well, we, we live in this perfect courtesy and this grace. Why? Because of what God, because who we used to to be and what God has done in us and how we are now the carriers of that gospel back into the world, all right? So that was last week. Now, this week, I want us to take the same chunk of scripture, except we're going to zero in on how we are changed, okay? So we, we used to be this, but we're not that anymore, if, you, if you're here this morning and born again. Uh, be, why? Because God saved us. He changed us. Okay, how exactly did God do that? I think verse 5 is one of the most beautiful pa- uh, verses in the Bible about how God changes a, a soul, okay? So verse 5 says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, then this phrase, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, all right? So it's another way of describing being born again. It's a, it's a really interesting word in, in the New Testament. It's actually only used one other time, Matthew 19, 28, I believe. And, and it talks about this like regenesis. Uh, like if you just took the word in, in the most literal fashion, it would be like this regenesis. It's like this re, restarting, re, renewing, making new of, uh, uh, of something. It's almost like uh, something is, is completely destroyed and then made new. And born again is the word that you normally would use for, for this. But in, in, in this passage, it is regeneration. Now, the, the question that I want you to grapple with, first of all, is why do we need to be born again? Like, like, why do we need a new beginning? Why do we need a starting over? Why do we need a remaking of ourselves? Why doesn't God just give us a little overhaul, right? Like, like hear me out. I think that's what a lot of people think they need. I think for a lot of folks, they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm basically good, but you know, when you press me too far and I haven't had much sleep and I don't get my coffee, I'm a little cranky, right? And, and so I just, I, I just need that, that little bit kind of fixed. No, that, that is not what the Bible says. You don't need just a new paint job. You don't need just some, some medicine to get you well, some tips to get you on the right track. You are broke and busted beyond fixing, okay? You, you've got to be made new. There's no improving. There's no, there's no patching up the old. There's no just a better version of yourself. A lot of times people come to church. Why? Because they just want a little better version of themselves. You know, like, you know what? There's some areas in my life I really need to work on, so I'm going to go to church. Yeah, man, that's not what you need. You, you need a scrapping of the old, and you need to be made brand new by the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, we find a guy named Nicodemus. Now, what you need to know about Nicodemus, this guy is a good guy. Like, like literally, this is, this is the best of men, okay? First of all, he's one of the most religious people in Israel. He's a Pharisee, which means he's, he's a part of the group that, that is incredibly diligent about God's law, about obeying God's law, about uh, following, you know, the, the Old Testament as, as best as, as they can. He's a moral guy. Um, he, he's a guy who's respected by his people by his community. And, and here's, the, here's the thing about this guy. Like, when you think of Pharisees, you normally think of the people that were against Jesus. Okay, This guy is not against Jesus. Okay, He's all of that except he's for Jesus. When he comes to Jesus at night, he wants a meeting with him. He says, Jesus, we know you're from God. 
Like we, we know you're a teacher and we, we know that you are from God, okay? So Nicodemus is one of the best of guys. He's got good character. He's got good works. He's got a good reputation. He's on the right track. And Jesus tells him in John 3, 3, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And he goes on in verse 5 and says, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. All right, so, so here you've got one of the best of men, one of the most religious of religious people, a guy who probably reads his Bible every day, a guy who, uh, who, who, who has this great fear and admiration for God, and Jesus says, look, there is no hope for you except you be made new. Except you, we, we, there's got to be a regenesis in your life. There's got to be a regeneration. There's got to be a new birth in your, in your life. Nicodemus, you're beyond repair. You can't be fixed. We've got to start over. Now, why? Again, we'll, we'll go, back to, go back to verse 3. Like, like Titus sets us up here. Why? Well, because we ourselves, verse 3, Titus 3, 3, we ourselves were funds foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we were. And the result of that is the wrath of God. One of the passages we looked at last week was Ephesians 2. 1 through 4, it's a very similar passage to, to Titus 3, 3, and, and, and this says this, and you were dead in, your tre- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, nobody goes up to a dead person and says, you know what, if we just put a little makeup on this person, if we just, uh, if we put them in a nice pair of clothes, they'll be okay. We can send them back to work. Nobody thinks that, you know? They say, hey, let, let's give them lessons. Let's go to the mortuary and give some money. No, you don't do that with dead people. Dead people cannot be spruced up, Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's not working, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, listen to this, children of wrath. That's who we are. By nature, we are children of wrath. In other words, we have lived a life in which the wrath of God is coming upon us. If you need another verse to confirm that, Colossians chapter 3, um, let's see, I think it's verse 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, verse 7, or no, 6, I don't know, I can't see it. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. All right, did you hear that? The wrath of God is coming. We must be born again. Now, how, how? How does that happen? Or what's the, where's the power behind that? Okay, maybe that's a way to say that. Um, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Okay, so how, how are we born again? First of all, by the kindness and and love and mercy of God, not by our works. In other words, this is the initiative of the Spirit of God in your life. This is God's power coming in and making you alive. Um, people that are resurrected from the dead, they, they don't, no, no, no dead person applies for resurrection, okay? Like, like you, you can't do anything. It, this is a work of God, all right? Now, what does it mean to be born again? That's really the question I wanted to get to today. So when it talks about this in verse 5, this, this washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, what exactly is he talking about? What does it mean to be born again? When, when Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What exactly is Jesus describing there? Okay. 
Um, the way I would describe that to you is, is this. It is being made alive on the inside by the indwelling Holy Spirit, okay? So there's, a, there's some important um, pieces in that definition. First of all, regeneration happens through the Holy Spirit, okay? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling the believers, all right? So you can think about it maybe in this way. When, whenever a person hears the gospel and, and God is at work in their life and God initiates this, this born-again experience, they, they, they believe the gospel, they repent of their sin. God, God makes them alive through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, they, they come alive on the inside. Um, I love what John Calvin said. John Calvin said the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. So when God's gonna save somebody, the only way that you and I can be saved is we gotta be joined to Jesus, right? We, we talk about that all the time. We talk about union with Christ. Um, you've gotta be joined to Jesus' death. Why? Because somebody's gotta pay for your sins. It's either Jesus or you. Right? So you've got to be joined. You've got to be united with Jesus' death. You've got to be united with Jesus' resurrection. If you want to live forever, you've got to be joined to the power plant that is Jesus Christ. Now, how, how's that going to happen? It, it, it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit unites you to the life of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so regeneration is not just becoming more religious. It's not knowing Bible facts or having right answers or you know, knowing spiritual stuff. Nicodemus already knew all that stuff, right? It, it, is, it is being connected to the life of Jesus Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life. So you'll notice in verse five. Verse five, he says, it says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in, by, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, okay? So it's both a washing and a renewal. I agree with John Piper on this, that it is, the washing represents a cleansing of all that was in the past, and the renewing uh, represents a new beginning for everything in the future, okay? So, so when you are connected to Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, all that's in the past is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. All that's in the future is made new new by the animating power of the Holy Spirit in your life. By the way, this, this is not new with the New Testament. Did you know that way back in the Old Testament, way before Jesus ever came, uh, God was talking about what he was going to do in the hearts of his people. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he says this in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that beautiful? Way back in, in, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet is describing the Holy Spirit coming to indwell within a believer, removing the old dead heart of flesh and putting in a new heart that responds to the things of God that causes you to walk in his commands, all right? So that, that is a picture of the new birth. Now, with the new birth absolutely brings about a definite change in regard to sin, all right? One of the things you're gonna see happen when you're born again is your relationship with sin is not what it used to be, all right? If that has not happened to you, then I would say you're not born again. 
Right? Because, because listen to the Ezekiel verse. It says that, that when God puts his spirit within you, he will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There is a definite change in regard to sin. Let me give you a bunch of 1 John verses, okay? You ready? Real quickly here. 1 John 2, 29. If you know he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, all right? 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Remember, we've looked at this, this verse before. This is that habitual sin. You, you just stay in it. You're unrepentant. You don't respond to the conviction of God. This is, not, this is not saying that you never sin again. This is saying you can't stay in sin. You can't stay there. God gets all over you. The Spirit of God's in you. You're in misery. All right? So 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Do you see the why there? Because God's seed abides, lives in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God knows God. All right, so, so, so there's a new love that comes within you, both for God and for others, when you are born again. First John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So over and over and again, John emphasizes this. If, if you are born again, when regeneration happens to you, you have a definite change in your relationship with sin. Okay? It creates this firm connection between the new birth and a changed life between the new birth and where Titus is going to take us, good deeds. This is why a believer does good deeds. This is why a believer commits his life to a changed life. This is why a believer lives out a fruitfulness. Why? Because he's been changed. He's been made alive on the inside. Okay, now, let's, let's try to get even more specific, okay? Uh, we we got we to we put on our thinkers today, don't we? This, this is one of those, it hurts me a little bit. Now, does it hurt you? Um, all right, so, so what exactly is happening when the Holy Spirit makes us alive? So, so obviously, we were breathing before, right? And, and then we're born again. Well, we're still breathing, right? And our heart was beating before, and our heart's still beating now, and our lungs were, you know, our blood was hurting. Okay, so it doesn't mean any of that stuff, right? So what exactly happens when you are born again, okay? In what way are you made alive? Two, two, two things, specifically, that I want to talk about to you anyway. Number one, there is a new seeing and number two, there is a new valuing, okay? So number one, a new seeing, and number two, a new valuing, okay? Now, obviously, before you're born again, you have a vision problem, a spiritual vision problem. In fact, in John 3, 3, remember what, what he says in Nicodemus? He says, unless you're born again, you cannot, it's interesting, isn't it, see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. Um, Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, uh, lest they see, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All right, so lots of verses that talk about a spiritual blindness. I, I, I can identify. I can identify. I can, I can identify sitting in a, in a church service just like you all are sitting there. I can, I can identify sitting there for 18 years and, and hearing truth. And understanding much of it cognitively, but never, it never gripping me, it, it, it never grabbing hold of me, it never had, it never had this, this, this transforming effect in my life because I did not see the glory of Jesus. 
I thought, well, surely he's a good guy. He's much better than the devil, and going to heaven sounds a lot better than going to hell. I mean, I knew all that stuff. But as far as seeing, man, Jesus is the best thing. He's worthy of my life. I did not. I had a vision problem, okay? Now, that vision problem led to a valuing problem, okay? So I, I did not value things correctly. So 1 Corinthians uh, 2, I think, is the best passage in, in, in describing this. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, nat- nat- What is natural, by the way? That, that's who you naturally are, right? Who you are without the indwelling Holy Spirit. Who you are before being born again. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them. But you know what folly is? Folly is like, eh. Nah, nah, I don't know, that's not very important. That, that's silliness. It's it's, it's, it's nothing, nothing big here, right? So, so before being born again, the things of the Spirit of God are just not that big a deal. Again, looking back on my pre-conversion life, I was not a big fan of reading the Bible. Um, I, I was a kid who, who memorized things pretty quickly, understood, you know, so, so like my Sunday school teachers were teaching me, and, and like I'm getting the stories and everything. As for having a desire for spiritual things, no, not, not much. I've told you the story before. I'm born again in, in the middle of the night, and uh, I wake up. You know, it's like the next morning, the morning after that. I remember. I remember my mom was there, but like I've got, I've got my 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 fruity pebbles, and, and I've got my Bible. You know, my Bible on the table, and my mom was like, "What has happened to you?" You know, like like the first time she's ever seen it in my life. You know, and, and I didn't really know. You know, I was just like, "I'm reading my Bible, mom. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to know what's in here." You know. Like, all of a sudden, there's this valuing of spiritual things. Okay, oh, back to verse 14. I don't think I, I read the rest of it, did I? Okay, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I prefer that if you have the New American Standard Bible, I really prefer it for this verse because it says, instead of discerned, it says because they're spiritually discerned, it says they're appraised, spiritually appraised. And, and the reason I like the, the word, if you look it up in Greek, it just means a careful, thorough examination, all right? A, a, a discerning judgment on something. But the reason I like appraise, what, what does an appraiser do? Well, he, he comes to your house, normally is where we run into appraisers, or your piece of land, and what's he do? He does a careful examination, right? And he says, well, it's, the, the lot's this big, and it's in this kind of neighborhood, and here's your, your comparable real estate prices, and it's made out of this, and it's got these, these upgrades, and, it's got, and, and what does he do? What, what, he's making this careful examination of it, and then he is valuing it, right? Which is why I like the word appraise, because that, 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 that I believe, gets to the, at the heart of what happens in the new birth, is you, you get a new valuing system. Okay? Before you're born again, your appraiser is broken. Right? So, so prior to my being born again, man, I, there was a whole list of stuff that I, I cared incredibly deeply about. Like, very important to me. Okay? That after I was born again, man, like all those things just went, whew, just all of a sudden went from here way down to here. And all these things that I didn't care hardly at all about. Now, all of a sudden, we're way up here. There there was a new valuing system. And and can you just imagine the devastation in a person's life when your appraiser is broken? Okay? I mean, just let's let's use our property evaluation experience, okay? So so just think about that as an illustration. So um, there's a little house right down here on 17th Street. 
I, I, I don't have confirmation on this. I think it's the smallest house in Woodward. You know, uh, y'all, y'all drove by it when you came here. I mean, it's, it's little bitty. It, it, uh, it, it may be super nice inside. I've never been inside, but it, it's just this little bitty house. It can't be more than five, 600 square foot is my, my guess, you know. And, and, and so let's say that, that your appraiser is broken, and so you go appraise that house, and you're like, man, I think this thing's worth $600,000, you know. Uh, it's a it's, it's, it's $600,000 house. And, and you've got a house over in South Fork, you know, 3,000 square foot, and it, it's, you know, got a pool and, and all kind of, you know. And, and you're like, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm going to praise mine. I think mine's worth 12,500, you know. And, and, and so you sell your house in South Fork for 12,500, and you buy this little one over here on 17th for 600, okay. What's the result of that? Devastation, right? Financial devastation. Why? Because your appraiser was severely damaged, okay. There are a lot of people living their lives exactly that way. Okay? Maybe not with property, but, but the things that they're valuing are utterly worthless. And the things that, that are incredibly important, they're putting no value on. And their life is moving toward devastation. In regeneration, our eyes are opened. Right? And when we start valuing things rightly, by, by the way, I, I, I skipped a verse that I meant to bring you to. Romans 1 is an example of this. Romans 1, um, 23 and 25. Um, it's talking about the devastation of sin. It says, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. So look at the picture there. man. Instead of you didn't want the glory of God, you preferred... Monkeys and worms, you know. I mean, literally is, is the picture there of idolatry, okay? It looks different in our society. Um, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You, you rejected the truth of the almighty God and you bought a mirror instead and you worshiped yourself. You see, that, that's an appraisal problem. That's a valuing problem. And, and when the eyes of our hearts are open to see spiritual truth, then all of a sudden, the more you see of Jesus, the more you want of Christ. Y'all know this is one of my, this is maybe my favorite verse in the New Testament, honestly. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, what happened? We, 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 we can see now. With unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, we start seeing the beauty of Christ and the more we see the beauty of Christ, the more we want of Christ and, 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 the, and the more we're transformed. You see the glory of Jesus, and you, and you become like him, and, you, and your life begins to change, and, and you see more of his glory, and you become like him, and you see more of his glory, and you become like him. And it's this beautiful seeing and being transformed. The more we see of Christ, the more we treasure Christ. And by the way, have you, have you experienced this from the standpoint of, of, of you were born again, and all of a sudden, the Bible came alive. Like all of a sudden, you're seeing the gospel everywhere. All of a sudden, you're seeing the glory of Jesus everywhere in it. You have a new seeing. You have a new treasuring. The psalmist describes it as tasting. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see that when your eyes are open 
to Christ and you see his glory and you taste his goodness, man, you want more. People always pursue what's valuable. Man, you, you, can, you, can, you don't even have to talk to somebody, really, to know what's valuable in their life. You just watch them. Like, what, what, are, they, what are they chasing? What are they pursuing? What, what, are they, what do they hold up as important to that? Man, that's, that's what they think is valuable. And so when you see the glory of Jesus, the value of Christ, when your eyes are open, regeneration, all of a sudden you, you discard what's no longer treasure and you give all to gain more of Christ. All right now, beautiful pictures of this in the scripture. Matthew 13, 44, remember? The guy who's walking through the field and he stumbles upon a treasure, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found covered up. And in his joy he goes and sells all that he has. What, what's all that he has? All that he has is all that he used to treasure, right? Like this stuff was, man, he wouldn't have given it up for nothing. But now he, he finds this treasure and he goes back and puts his for sale sign on everything. Why? Because he got to buy that field. Because what's in that field is infinitely more valuable than anything he had. That's being born again. Paul, this, this may take a little bit of work, but I think it's worth doing. Man, Paul had this same experience happening in Philippians 3. I was, I was reading Philippians 3 with some guys this week, and, and man, it's, 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 it's Paul laying this out. I, we don't have time to read all this, but let me just kind of breeze you through Philippians 3. So, so beginning in verse 4, he talks about everything that used to be super important to him, his reputation, his status, his family, like his, his, um, his elevation in Jewish society, um, his zeal, his, his role as a Pharisee, all that stuff. And then beginning in, in verse, um, let's see, 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the, this is the jewel right here. See it? Surpassing worth. Isn't that great? Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like, like he sees this, the, the worth of Christ. Now all this stuff that used to be uber important to him is now nothing but rubbish. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So when we're born again, we see. We see the glory of Christ. And seeing it brings us a new affection and desire and, and a valuing of the things of God. All right. Now, the other side of that is when you're born again, you can't stay in sin. We already looked at First John three, right? You can't stay there. Not only can you not stay there, but you 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 feel the weight of that sin. You you feel a misery of that. Okay, so the the more you see the glory of Christ, the more you see the, the ugliness of sin. Like those two go together, right? The more more you see Christ's glory, the more ugly sin is, and, and, and the more miserable you are staying in it. Right, so here's a great passage for this. I know we're doing lots of scripture today, but um, it's sort of a topical sermon, so uh, I think to do it well, I need to do that. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, um, verse 9. Let's listen to Paul talk about this kind of grief. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief. What's a godly grief? Okay, let's keep reading so that you suffered no loss through it. 
For, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. You know what a worldly grief is? A worldly grief is this regret, sorrow, shame, guilt that just pounds you in the ground. It just hammers on you, makes you feel worthless, makes you feel you, you, things can never be right, makes you feel this load of shame. That's, that's worldly grief. You know what godly grief is? God, godly grief makes you hate your sin. And, and it causes you to turn to Jesus with such force that you almost get a little whiplash. And, and you, you run after him to get away from the sin. Did, did you hear those, 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 those words? He, he says, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal. Man, it, it drives you away from the sin. I thought John Piper had a great illustration of this. He says, it's like a, a person who walks into a dark room and they're, they're uh, you know how people will do this with a necklace? They're, you know, fondling the 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 what they think is an ebony brooch on the, on, the, on the chain around their neck, you know? And then someone turns on the light, and they realize they got a hold of a cockroach, you know? And, like, what, what happens? Yeah, some of you are doing yeah, What would you do? You'd be like, yeah, right? You know, run away, right? Man, that, that's, I love, I love Piper's illustration. That's a great illustration. Can't, can't you see it? People have this fondness for their sin, you know? Man, God turns on the spiritual light, and they're like, yeah, what am I doing? Man, I love to see that. It's born again. All right, let's keep rolling here. We're gonna get hung up and not finish. All right, verse seven. So being justified, we don't have time to unpack it, but made righteous, okay, made right. God makes you right. God takes the blood of Jesus Christ, joins you to it, so now in the court, of law, you are made right. Even though you're guilty, you're, you're made right because of Jesus' blood on your behalf, okay? We are justified, verse seven, by his grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I don't have a lot of time to talk about heirs either. It, it, it's really good, though. But let me just read you a passage on it, Romans 8. Uh, 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. You know what an heir is? Somebody who inherits. Okay, so remember the picture. If being born again means the Holy Spirit joins you to the life of Jesus, what's Jesus gonna get? The world, the kingdom. Glory, eternal. And now you're joined to him. You're an heir. First Peter says, you have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Unfading is my favorite of that. So, so regeneration is to be made new and to know there's much more new coming. Right? If, if I've got an inheritance, right? So I've, I've already been made new, but, but now I'm, I'm an heir with Jesus, and so there's all this other new coming through being an heir to the hope of eternal life, then 
a way that I'm thinking about it is I've been made new with more new coming. Ephesians 1, um, Paul is outlining all of our blessings. And he says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Interesting word. Guarantee, you know what a guarantee is? Like if you have to put down a guarantee on something you're buying, what do you got to do? You got to put some money down, right? You got to put a down payment down. You got to put the first installment down. Okay, who is the, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, so new birth, regeneration is God's first installment. Opens your eyes, see glory, brings you out of sin, brings you out of hell, forgives you of your sin, joins you to Jesus, joins you to the resurrection life of Christ. That's the new, but oh man, it's just the down payment. There's this whole inheritance that's coming, okay? And, and not just when you die, not just, but, but, but like today. Here's the way you ought to think about it. Today, I'm new, and there's more new coming today, and there's more new coming tomorrow, and there's more new coming the next day. I mean, that's what ought to drive you. That, that's where this hope comes in, this hope of eternal life. This hope of being made new with more new. And what's the result of all this glorious salvation? It's this confident expectation of new and more new that brings you into good deeds. See, what, what's your motivation for good deeds? Like it, it could be, you know what? I want to be a good witness. Okay, that's pretty good. That's all right. It could be, well, Jesus did all this for me, so... Shouldn't I live for him? That, that, that's pretty good. I, I, I'm with those. We, we can find those in Scripture. We actually find those in Chapter 2. But, man, I'm telling you, the driving one for me is, man, I've been made new by the Spirit of God, and there's more new coming. Won't I want to run into that? Won't I want to chase that? Won't I want to pursue that? If I've got this first installment that plucked my feet out of the fires of hell and put me on the rock of Christ and made me new on the inside, don't I want more of that? Who, who, who would say, well, I'm just going to wait? Who would do that? If you inherit $100, $100 billion and you get the first million in the first installment and, and someone says, well, hey, you, you can go to the bank any time you want and draw out you know, 10000 at a time. Who's going to be like, no, I'll just wait. I'll just wait till I die. Get it then. I know you guys. You'd be going to the bank every time. You, hey, is the bank open today? Ah, it's 4th of July. Why has the government got to close everything? You know, right? you'd, you'd, be, you'd be going. It should drive you into good works. So the Holy Spirit inside of you should cause you to expect much more. Go, go back to Philippians. I want to show you that. Paul lives this way. Ah, we're out of time. Um, Philippians 3. So I already read you what I read there about he used to love this, and now he came to the surpassing worth of Christ. All that's trash. Okay, so look where he goes from there, though. Verse 10. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. Paul, don't you already know him? Yep. I, w- I want more. Power of his resurrection. Haven't you already experienced it, Paul? I want more. Let me share his sufferings. Haven't you already experienced it, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. You're in jail. I want more. Becoming like him. Look where he goes in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make my own. 
One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward what lies ahead. I press on, verse 13, 14, I press on to the goal. That, do, you, do you see where Paul's going? Like, I'm new and I want more. I want more. Man, when you're made new on the inside, you see the world differently. All of a sudden, people are no longer irritants. You know what Paul said? The dude's getting whipped, stoned, and thrown in jail, and he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What, Paul? He, he has a new view of the world, and it brings compassion. See, the way you see Christ has changed, and you want more. The way you see your future has changed. You know, I think a lot of people fall into sin because they get caught up in this selfish ambition. They get caught up in this, you know, I, I don't have what I need. Man, people that are made new in Christ, we already have it all. And it just unleashes you into this good works. So it's what, what he says in verse 8. And again, hopefully we'll come back to this again. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed God, if you believe everything that we just said, may be careful to devote yourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people.